You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Jeff, Jeff Ellis, and this is the Locked On Indians podcast. I got good reviews, so uh, if I have to do one in a hurry, we will do the phone because it seems to be functional. Thank you to everyone for the feedback. Um, I will get to my normal thinking people personally who respond on uh, Twitter and the like. I was just terribly ill the last 24 hours, and that is why I've been completely incognito. Um, so let's dive into some minor news, because there's some interesting things. Mariners signing Yoshihiro Hirano for, to me, $1.6 million for a two-year contract. Uh, you might recall, this is the pitcher I talked about that I like quite a bit with the Diamondbacks, who's a free agent. Yeah, he's a bit older. Um, he has the age issue. But again, 1.6 mil, under a million dollars for a right-hander who's had some pretty good performance. Um, finished sixth in the Rookie of the Year two years ago. Uh, I think that's a great get for them at that value. Mar- Mar- the Mariner. wow. I guess I was trying to con- combine some names there. The Mariners also went out to sign Wee Yin, Yin Chen, who is mostly known as probably the worst player to uh, in terms of results after signing a qualifying offer. Huge deal with the Marlins, then was pretty much hurt consistently his whole time there. Um, Seattle is definitely making a push to add um, a lot of uh, players from the Asian continent. They do have a large Asian fan base. That is not um, the silliest thing for them to do. The Tigers added Jody Mercer. That takes the number one shortstop off my all-free agent team. Mercer is gone. I will have to now go and research and see who is the next shortstop off that list. Uh, Mitch Moreland re-signed with the Red Sox. He was one of the guys that I thought would make the most sense for the Indians to try and go after in terms of uh, what he could do and what he had left. He, let's see, he's going to get $3 million uh, in salary, so two point five this year and 500000 next year. It's a nice addition for the Red Sox. He's one of the guys I, I liked. Um, I put him also in that all-free agent team at first base. He is now off the market as well. Pedro Stroop to the Reds. Now, supposedly is deciding between the Rangers and Marlins. The Rangers just miss out at every turn, and it makes you wonder. Um, it's only a $1.825 million, so it's not a ton. The incentives only get them up to three point five. What were the Rangers and Marlins offering that they couldn't top that? Reds have a really good pen with... Razel Iglesias, Michael Lorenzen, Amir Garrett, Robert Stevenson. Uh, they just got better and deeper. Strong pen just keeps getting better. But I'm kind of surprised that after all of this, that uh, that's the cost when supposedly all these other teams were chasing. But with him signing, if you've been paying attention, we're now down to just uh, Puig and Holt for those last two guys from the Trade Rumors Top 50. And the Rangers finally get their third baseman. They chased every third baseman available in free agency. And uh, they finally get one here with uh matt duffy who it's a minor league pack that will net um one million dollars uh if he cracks the roster so i mean the rough free agency right i mean they have just the rangers are connected to everybody and then they i mean yes i know they got todd frazier but they also had a matt duffy here but still i mean for a team that was supposedly linked to some of the bigger names out there um it's just kind of surprising how badly it has gone for the Rangers in terms of who they've actually landed. Um, yeah, so let's just go from there. Uh, only other name of note, really, David Phelps got a $1.5 million contract. Um, 
with the Brewers. They continue to do one-year deals. So now that we've talked about that, let's dive into Eno Saros had a really interesting tweet today. And according to him, it's per driveline baseball stuff metric, uh, which he says will be, he'll explain better on his starting pitching ranks, which will come out Monday. The top relievers by pure stuff, number one, James Karinchak, number two, Emmanuel Classe. I knew we could go into the rest of Matt Barnes, Dylan Maples, Jordan Hicks, um, round out that top five. But the top two are both those Indians guys. And I'll be very curious to see, um, you know, as he explains this and what's it mean and what, uh, you know, basically more of, you know, why they like Class A. Just to help explain a little bit more why this is someone the Indians were so highly ranked on and why they uh they were going so hard to add him to their their team but uh i mean in terms of pure stuff number one and two are in the cleveland indians system i think that's certainly something interesting and something to keep in mind for what has been uh, a dull off season at best um it's been pretty busy and active for most but for the indians you know i saw that mlb trade rumors dropped their nl spending today um, the Indians would have beat three teams over there, the Rockies, the Cubs, and I can't think who else, but essentially the Indians are the sixth lowest spending team in this offseason. So it's 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 been a hard time to be an Indians fan, especially when we watch so many teams in the division getting significantly better while the Indians have sat on their hands. And since we've gotten through the news and all kind of the little interesting things to talk about, I thought we would go back to the Indians all-time team. Now, if you remember, a catcher, we had Steve O'Neill as the all-time uh, and Robert Perez, Roberto Perez last year having the single best season. So let's now move up to first base. And you may not be surprised to hear that on an all-first base, all-time, and single season, it is Jim Tomey. Uh, Jim Tomey has pretty much redefined the position for the Cleveland Indians um, through everything he has done, uh, his performance. If you're curious, just in terms of pure offensive production, I thought this was a bit surprising. I I didn't actually think um, it would be his 2002 season. But yeah, it's going through and you're looking for those guys who have stood out, who have done the most in in a series or for a lifetime with the Indians. Probably not a surprise, Jim Tomey at first base. Let's dig a little deeper, see who came close, though. But this might also be the time to point out the Cleveland Indians' uh, history at first base is surprisingly mediocre. Um, They've had a lot of good up-the-middle players, a lot of excellent guys at third base. The outfield is absolutely loaded. But historically, first base did not stand out as I was going through this list trying to find guys. There's a lot of players who end up at first place, first place, who end up at first base. There's a lot of guys who's career eventually has them there but in terms of guys who played there a majority of their career in Cleveland and I know that Tommy didn't start there that's just where he finished but it's not a list of guys who really stand out in terms of their production at first base um, it's it's like I said it's a position that guys end up at it's not traditionally a position that a lot of guys come up and play at um, so he didn't actually have as much competition as one might expect for uh, you know, the overall production or the, uh, in terms of other players at the position who stood out for how well they played. I mean, just going through the single season list alone. So if we're just trying to find times where guys played first base, it's, it's a pretty dull group. It's, it, you know, I can get through the, 
the top 40 or so names and then there's not a, another first baseman in there you go through the top 50 there's not another first baseman there's just not a lot of players who handled that position at a high level for the cleveland indians um it, which was something i found really kind of interesting we're so used to thinking first base is such an easy place for um offensive production that's just looking at baseball references offensive war that as i go through that list and i'm just kind of like okay first baseman just offensively first baseman just one season you know who had one really good season at first base and there isn't anyone it's it's Tommy and there's not really a lot of competition um which again i found just fascinating because we're used to first base being this kind of home of high level production and you know big offensive uh totals but it's just not there and you know travis hafner was a dh he was not a first baseman so let's just eliminate that you know i'm sure his name comes up and in my lifetime, the first baseman I tend to think about, um, it's like I remember Brooks Jacoby there, but I also remember him at third. I kind of remember him more as a third baseman than a first baseman, but I, I do remember him at that position. remember when uh, Paul Sorrento was there for a long time for the Cleveland Indians. Um, but yeah, it's not a position that I can really associate with a lot of high-level consistent production, which is, again, something I find kind of interesting. I, I pulled up Brooks Jacoby to kind of look at, and it was pretty much like 90 was the one season where he was predominantly at first, and that was about it. So even uh, Brooks Jacoby didn't have a long run at first base. It was almost entirely third. And I think that is interesting just to look at. I mean, Victor Martinez and Carlos Santana are two of the better ones in my lifetime, but that's, again, not where they started. It's where they ended up being better players. So they would enter that competition and that's just where I kind of am. Yes, I, anything like this is going to be shaded towards the players I got to see and know because there's probably some greats I didn't know about, and especially because offensive production has been massively changed over the years due to just how baseball has changed over the years. Um, but uh, the the only other guy I can think back to is Andre Thornton was you know one of those guys I heard about. Um, his time with the Indians was definitely kind of nearing its end by the time I was following him. Uh, so he'd be the other name that kind of stands out. But again, he actually did play and have some of his best seasons when I was uh, when I was alive. He's still in my lifetime type of player, and he would certainly you know be someone else to talk about. Because again, it just to me fascinating how that position has not uh, yielded a whole lot over time. Um, the debate for this episode was: Do I go talk about some other position? Do I shift? But I'm going to let you in on kind of the secret. Like third base is is maybe the hardest position um, on this entire thing. Third base is it's crazy the depth the Indians have had at third base. Um, you you I could bring up you know I'm struggling to name like five guys at first base uh, for third base. It's you could pull up ten <laughs> shortstop, almost as many second base. Now the funny thing is for most of my life second base has been this terrible position of inconsistency we've seen jason kipnis have these great peaks but hasn't been able to sustain it we've seen belliard we had alomar for a short period of time Bayerga for really what turned into a short period of time we've had these flashes of brilliance um but you go back further and that's another huge position of strength for the indians uh outfield the corner spots are surprisingly difficult to fill in uh the indian center field though is you could make um a case that right now through baseball history and they might have had the the greatest center field depth of any organization it's been crazy to see so 
I thought for this one, what we would do is kind of shift over and talk about DH. Now, DH is a position that has not existed for all that long. And due to that, there's not a lot of guys who have been primary DHs. If you want the Indians' greatest DH, that's Pronk. Like, it's pretty easy to say Travis Hafner and move on. Um, now, his career is an interesting one just from the perspective of it was not the longest lived, um, much like a Carlos Baerga or someone like that. It's just when you expected him to keep going, unfortunately for Hafner, it the bottom kind of fell out and injuries and other things limited him. Now, he did debut later um, with the Indians. You know, they acquired him uh, right before his age 26 season. And he only played 91 games in the majors that year. Next year, he finally gets that extended look at age uh, 2004, age 27 season. And, you know, it, he hit 311 with 28 home runs. Next year, 305 with 33, and then the 308 with 42. And the interesting thing with Hafner is we think of him as this ginormous power hitter. Um, he only had two years with more than 30 home runs. I don't know how many people realize that. And, well, if you're like, well, how many years with 20 home runs? Um, four. Like, it was not, it was a, a very quick peak. And then, you know, the 2007 season, which was uh, a great year for the Indians, but not a great year for Pronk. That was kind of the beginning of his decline. Like, his 2006-2007 is a massive decline. And his power just was zapped. It never came kite back. That 2006 season ended after 129 games. He broke his hamate bone, and that always has issues with power. And there was questions about, you know, what kind of went wrong. Age 28, or uh, age 31 season, 2008. I mean, he's just a, a shell of himself after that. Rebounds in 2009 and plays pretty well. 2010, he's pretty solid. And then just injuries, inability to stay healthy. But even like age 34 and age 35, he's not... I mean, age 35 and in 2012, he's not very good. Like, that's officially where it starts to completely end. But health, consistent health issues, um, inability to stay healthy. And it's you, you look at him, 12 years in the majors, uh, 1,183 games. So didn't even average 100 games a season. And I didn't go this deep on Tomey because I assume everyone else knows Jim Tomey. I'm just—it seems silly to, to talk that up. But I mean, uh, Hafner was just kind of this amazing bright light, and then good, but it just—it's—it's it's interesting how quickly it faded. And you know, there was all the debates about. Um, it is going back most similar batters by score and Baseball Reference. Um, currently Anthony Rizzo I don't know if, if you should consider that a good thing if you're Anthony Rizzo Bryce Harper is also in that list Tony Clark um Kendra Morales um interesting list but you know Pronk was at peak just about as good as it got uh 2004 and 2006 first by OPS plus first in slugging in 2006 first and on base percentage on OPS in 2006. I mean, he was a legitimate, he finished fifth in the MVP that year. And a lot of that was probably because the Indians were in 2006. You know, I don't recall that being a particularly grand year. I'm going to go look up my numbers. Uh, MVP award in standings, 2006. Yeah, the Indians were 78 and 84. You know, one of those very Eric Wedgian totals. Uh, Justin 
or Hafner was eighth that year. Johan Santana, Joe Maurer, Jermaine Dye, Frank Thomas, uh, David Ortiz, Derek Jeter, and Justin Morneau won it all, which is interesting that Morneau won the whole thing, but Hafner, I mean, Morneau beat Hafner in batting average, but if you look at, and, and RBIs, but Hafner had more home runs. He had the higher on-base percentage because Morneau didn't, like, walk at all. If he had, like, because Morneau beat him by 16 points in batting average, but non-base percentage, Hafner beat him by almost 60 points, 100 points in slugging. Like, one of those things where you wonder how much people would pay attention now versus then. Like, Hafner was worth 5.9 war. Um, Santana was worth 7.6. Grady Sizemore was actually worth 6.6 that year. Vernon Wells, Carlos Guillen, Chinman Wang, um... And then Hafner. So it's interesting that nobody who finished above him in voting, except for Santana, who did finish one spot above him, actually had a higher uh, war that year than him. So, yeah, one of those things you do wonder about that timeline and if he was just not quite as appreciated because of where he, uh, the era. But, I mean, Tommy finished 11th that year for the White Sox. He had a strong year as well. It's, you know, the Indians... it's a disappointing season, no doubt. Um, the next year they would, of course, advance deep in the playoffs. But, yeah, it's uh, whew, Jason Michaels, significant innings. Name I had not thought about in a while. But uh, Hafner gets it. Now, the only debate at this would be if we just wanted to do top offensive production. And if you're looking for all-time production of guys who we're kind of looking ahead aren't going to make the uh the list because they share a position with someone who is just you know otherworldly that means we have a lot of center fielders for career offensive war who aren't up for a spot on the indians and the names that immediately jump out are earl avril and uh larry doby and kenny lofton and one can make a case that either one of those three guys you could put in over pronk to be your dh you can also make the case of making all three of those guys your outfield and just going for stellar defense uh we'll talk about some of them later on when we get to center field because again that's just such a loaded position for the indians but it just goes to point out again kenny lofton being arguably the worst one and done in in indians baseball or in what am i saying indians baseball just in baseball hall of fame voting in general i don't know if kenny lofton is a hall of famer i don't know if i'm willing to go that far but is he better than guys that are in the hall of fame absolutely is he better than guys who get heavily debated every year absolutely uh, Kenny Lofton was an excellent player who never really got as much love as he deserved. Um, that's unfortunate. So Lofton is, is pretty high on this list. And that's a funny thing where like Omar Rizkel might eventually get in and people adore and love Omar. And Omar was a very good player, but Kenny Lofton was a better player. And I know I get talk from people, position matters, but center field is a very hard position as is shortstop. And Kenny Lofton, this isn't necessarily so much to drag down Omar, but to say Kenny Lofton is, I'm trying to like kind of figure out how to phrase this. It's kind of a travesty that he's not as well-loved for his production as some of the other players from the Indians of that era. Like I said, you know, if you believe Omar should be a Hall of Famer, that's, you know, I, I can understand that point of view. If you think he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer, I can also understand that point of view. Um, but if you think that Omar is a Hall of Famer and that Kenny Lofton is not, that is a point of view I cannot understand and or defend. Uh, Lofton, eighth all-time 
Indians offensive war. In terms of just positional player war, not just offense, you're looking at offense and defense, Kenny Lofton is fourth because that's how much value he brought defensively. Only three guys ahead of him on the list, and all three of those guys are on the all-time team. Fifth is Tommy. Sixth is Earl of Ravrell. Joe Sewell at seventh. Larry Doby, eight. Terry Turner, nine. Tenth, Bill Bradley. Uh, if you want to find the all-time... I don't... Yeah, Omar does not even make the top 50 all-time war for the... Uh, for the Cleveland Indians. So that's just kind of the, the point to make with this is like Kenny Lofton should be considered for that all-time DH position because he's just an exceptional baseball player who never really got the love he deserved. And more than anything else, I just want to point out and give some time to be like, Kenny Lofton was really freaking good, like really good. And if you wanted to put him in over Pronk, on your all-time Indians team and make him your DH or Earl Averill your DH. Like, Kenny Lofton played forever. His OPS plus is still a 107. Because um, what you don't realize about Kenny Lofton is he's a guy who at his peak at age 31 walked 87 times to 80 strikeouts or walked 64. Like, he really worked on that. He was he had a strong... Even when he came up in his uh, rookie season, he had 285, but a 362 on base because he walked 68 times. You know, the power was never really part of his game, but the doubles, the stolen bases, the on-base percentage, he was a complete hitter for a guy who, yeah, the, was never a great power hitter, was never even a power hitter, but he was good for double digits, and he'd give you 30 doubles, and he'd swipe um, at peak 70 bases in a year. Uh, he was a really, really good player who we all should appreciate a little bit more. So I, I hope everyone appreciated a little bit of waxing on about Kenny Lofton's greatness. Um, he's one of those guys where it's interesting that I feel like him just kind of sticking around and being content to kind of be um, a good, but not. I mean, but he okay. So that 2007 season where he ended up coming back to the Indians, he uh, his OPS plus that year was a 105. His OPS was a 781. He was still an above league average hitter. He had a 296 batting average for the Indians. He had a 283 batting average, 344 on base. 370 slugging, 714 OPS at age 40. Like, it's kind of crazy he didn't get an opportunity the next year. He was an above average league bat. I get he was older, but he was still producing. Like, every single year, he was pretty consistent in terms of his production. Um, I mean, I would kill for uh, whoever we put into a left outfield spot next year to have that type of production. Um, and if you're curious, defensively, he had a .2 war that year. And the years before that, there was uh, two negative scores. But outside of those two years, every single year, he produced a positive grade in terms of defensive war. So, yeah, just Kenny Lofton, uh, you know, really freaking good. Kind of gets misplaced on those 90s teams with multiple Hall of Famers and some stellar production. But uh, Kenny Lofton, take a moment and appreciate some greatness there. I want to thank everyone for listening and rating and reviewing, reminding everyone we are back to five days a week next week, so we'll be getting through this list a little bit more. Um, we'll start, I don't know where we'll start, depends on how much news we have to talk about as second base, shortstop, and third base, uh, and center field are all loaded. Left field, right field might just be one podcast in and of themselves, not quite as deep, but we'll see. We'll get through this list as we get closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting. This has been Jeff Ellis of the Locked on Indians podcast. Thank you all for listening, rating, and reviewing, and as always, Go Tribe!